You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Have your Bibles tonight, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17, very, very familiar story, very familiar text that we'll use tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I appreciate the permission to go to 1030 tonight, and I really love that. I don't get that a lot often, but tonight, man, we'll try to get you home before midnight, okay? 1 Samuel, well, it's already 9, quarter after 9 at home for me, so I'm about ready to go to sleep already. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Very, very familiar story tonight. 1 Samuel 17, if you're able tonight, why don't we stand? I'll read out loud. It's been a joy to be with you. Appreciate being very kind and gracious. Had a, just a good crowd yesterday all day, and a great crowd Sunday night. This is a tremendous crowd for a Monday night service. It really is. From what, what you had and what it looked like in your auditorium uh, yesterday, Sunday night, tonight appreciate you being here and I really do I mean that I know that it's it, it is tough you know if you get up early I get up early and uh, you know you all day you know there's lots going on but you're here tonight and I appreciate it first Samuel first Samuel chapter 17 and look at verse 17 the Bible says and Jesse said unto David his son take now for thy brethren and ephod of this parched corn these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. Carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. I love it when uh, Jesse tells him, you know, get your brother's offering while you're there. That's good, isn't it? And now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Eli fighting with the Philistines. David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took wind as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the battle and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army, came and saluted his brother. As he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard of them. You remember the challenge that he had offered uh, previously. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore Afraid, The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies 
of the living God. The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Elab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Elab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mayest see the battle. I guess one of the most familiar statements in all the Bible that we'll preach from tonight. Verse number 29. And David said, what have I now done? And what is the question? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? If you've been in church for a little while, there's probably no question. You've probably heard this preached. If you've been in church in many years, you've probably heard it preached many times in many different ways. My prayer tonight that God would take this text tonight and make it fresh, just as though this is the first time we've ever heard it tonight. Our Father, we sure do love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for this great church. Thank you for this great crowd on a Monday night. But God, we're needy people. We're living in some very needy times. God, I pray and beg and plead and ask that you would do a work tonight in all of our hearts. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for what you're going to do. And Lord, meet with us tonight. I pray you'd help us. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray and ask it all. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look with me. Just We're going to come back maybe just a little bit. But our text tonight, verse 29, And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Jesse, David's father, had sent David down to check on his three older brothers. And so as David had made his way down to, the, to where the battle was taking place, uh, there was this man by the name of Goliath. He was a champion. He was a champion warrior. And uh, no doubt had killed many of men. Nearly 10 feet tall. And he comes out and he issues a challenge. This particular time, now David is there. David hears the challenge. He sees the fear and all the men. And then he hears what they're talking about and say, you know, the king has offered, if any man kills, uh, you know, this, uh, this Philistine here, uh, he can be married to the king's uh, daughter and also his, he'll be free of taxes. And so David said, well, what did you say? Tell me that again. And so they rehearsed the, the same story uh, to David again. And then David's brother, his elder brother, heard David asking the questions. And he begins to kind of uh, put David down. And says, ah, you know, what are you doing? You're out here. Who do you think you are? You know, who, you just left those few little sheep, you know, uh, you know, you're, you know, little shepherd boy. You know, he just kind of just really jumps on David. And then David comes back with that great question. David comes back with that great question to his brother. And he says, is there not a cause? Now, what does that word cause mean? When David says, is there not a cause. Listen carefully. If you miss this, you'll miss the whole message. The word cause means reason. 
So we could say it, is there not a reason? David is simply saying, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason that someone should face this giant, this Philistine? The word cause means the reason or motive that urges or that moves or impels the mind to act or to decide. There was something that, 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 that motivated. There was something that, that moved David. There was a cause. There was a reason. David says, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? There was something inside of David that moved him to fight Goliath. And here we are several thousand years later, thousands of messages has been preached from this, and we're still talking about it. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? And may I ask tonight the question, is there not a cause? Is there not a, a, a reason uh, to be saved? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to surrender your life to God? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to serve the Lord with all of our hearts? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason that, that you and I would step up to the plate and, and, and be willing to sacrifice for the Lord? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason that you and I would get involved in our church? Uh, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason that, that you and I would get in the fight? Uh, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason that we would be willing tonight to be surrendered and uh, allow God to do a work in all of our lives? What would be that cause? What would be that reason? What could, what could move us? What, what could move us tonight to an altar and, and, and raise the, 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 the white flag and, and say, Lord, I, I surrender. I, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm, I'm willing to get right of whatever you want me to get right. I mean, what, what, what could move us? Let me give you some things tonight. Let me give you some reasons, some things that, that ought to move us, that ought to cause us to want to be surrendered and surrendered serve God with all of our hearts and, and continue to serve the Lord. You know, often if you don't have the right motive, if you don't have the right cause, if you don't have the, if you don't have the right reason, there's a good chance you won't stay with it. There was something inside of David that was bigger than himself that caused him to be willing to put his life on the line and to face Goliath. You know, there ought to be something in our lives that is bigger than ourselves one of the besetting sins of our day is selfishness. I'm not sure if it's the greatest sin of our day, but it's definitely got to be in the top five. And uh, I'm talking about selfishness, but what, what, what would, could be inside of us that would cause me and you to be willing to die to self and to put self out of the way and to allow God to work in our lives? Let me give you some causes tonight. Let me give you some reasons tonight. And I believe tonight you will agree with every one of them tonight. Number one, the, the cross is a good reason. Matter of fact, if that was my only point, that would, that would be enough. The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. Go with me to 2 Corinthians quickly tonight. You know, the cross of Christ ought to 
cause any, any sinner want to be saved. It ought to cause any saint to want to be surrendered. Amen. It, it, uh, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, that should be enough to motivate us and to move us and to cause all of us tonight to want to live a life that would be pleasing to God. The cross of Jesus Christ. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and look at verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know what it was that moved Paul the Apostle? You know what that motivated him to continue to serve God? Even though he was beat, he'd be put in jail, he was forsaken. And You know what was the motivating factor of his life? You know what moved Paul the Apostle to be surrendered and, and to serve God with all of his heart? You know what it was? It was the cross of Jesus Christ. It was the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul was consumed with the cross of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are to be consumed of what uh, Christ did for us. I love the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I love the song, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. I love the song, The Old Rugged Cross. I love the song, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light. I believe the old hymn writers had it right, amen. My friend, they, they uh, wrote much about the cross. The old preachers preach much uh, about the cross of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you tonight, but I love to tell the old, old story. Let me give you three quick thoughts quickly about the cross. Number one, why, why should it move us? Why, why should it motivate us to be surrendered and, and to serve God with all of our hearts? Number one, the price he paid. The price he paid. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, the Bible says that we are bought with a price. Someone said you can often tell what something means to somebody by the price they're willing to pay for that which they desire to have. Somebody said Michael Jordan's shoes, and I don't know, I just heard it a couple of weeks ago, uh, a pair of Michael Jordan's shoes was going to uh, be auctioned off, and uh, they, they figured it would go around $2 million. I don't know about you, but I wasn't betting on Michael Jordan's shoes. I don't have $2 million, amen. If I did, I'd be building a gym at our church, okay, and uh, not buying tennis shoes, okay, uh, just to sit and to look at. But uh, uh, somebody said uh, you can often uh, tell what, what something means to somebody by the, by the price that they're willing to pay. May I say tonight, my friend, we must have meant a, a whole lot to God, my friend, because he was willing to pay a great great price by giving his son uh, to die on the cross for us. The Bible says that we're bought with the price. Not only the price that he paid, but the pain that he suffered. 
The Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Now, I know many of you are soul winners. And I know many of you, when you go through the Roman road and you lead somebody to Christ, when you go to Romans 6, 23, and you say, for the wages of sin is death. You stop right there. And many times you will go to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And when you're leading somebody to Christ, you explain to them that the wages of sin is death. And then you will stop and you'll say something like this. Now, when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, it is not just talking about physical death, but it's talking about a spiritual death being separated from God for eternity. Can I get a witness there? So you and I, when we explain Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, we explain to the sinner, and correctly so, we explain to the sinner that the wages of sin is not just talking about a physical death, but it's talking about being separated from God in hell forever. You agree with that? So... The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Christ died for us. I, I, do, I don't say this ugly, and I, I had a man in my church, and I, I don't think he meant harm, or I don't think he meant ill will, but boy, I didn't like what he said. And, and, and he's a good guy, and I just don't think he just really thought about what he said. But he said something like this. He said, you know, Jesus knew that, you know, he was going to come and he was going to die. And, he, you know, he was going to be buried and he, gonna, he was going to rise again from the dead. And I just don't see the, you know, the, the real super big deal about that because he knew he was going to rise again anyway. And I don't know how that, that just hearing that just, just makes me uneasy, don't it, you? It's like, there's something wrong with that, okay. But the real truth is, I fear the average church member, and I don't mean this ugly, but we really don't understand the price that Christ really paid. See, when we think about the pain he suffered, we think about the nails in his hands and his feet, the, the, the spear in his side, we, we think about the reed that they beat him on the head. We think about when they blindfolded him and, and, and they bit him and said, now, 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 now prophesy to us. Now tell us who just hit you. And, and as they begin to hit him in the face, they scourged him. They tied him to like a post and they, and they, they beat him with that, that cat of, of nine tails. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. And uh, we understand when we think about the cross, uh, we think about those physical pains but ladies and gentlemen he suffered way more than you and I could probably will ever understand and comprehend because Jesus was the God man and I'm going to tell you what I believe and the preacher disagrees with this he, he can correct it uh, Sunday morning okay and uh, but I, I but when the Bible says the wages of sin is death if a sinner if a sinner dies in his sins he will go to a place called hell and he'll he'll spend eternity there right so if the wages of sin is death and if it's not just physical if it's also that separation from God 
in hell. And if Christ paid our sin debt, that means he paid what we would have suffered in hell forever. Now, I don't know how he done that, but as God, he could do that. When he said it is finished, he paid our sin debt in full. So the only two choices a sinner has, he, he, can, he can reject Christ and go to a place called hell and pay for his sins forever and ever. And the reason why hell's forever, because it will never get your sins paid for. You'll be paying for them forever. Or you can accept Christ who's already paid for him. And so when Jesus died on the cross, I'm talking about the pain he suffered. He suffered our eternal hell. He paid our sin debt in full. My friend, listen, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, it ought to be a reason that you and I want to be surrendered and we want to be faithful and we want to serve God. Why? The price he paid, the pain he suffered, and the love he demonstrated. But God commended his love toward us. I might have told you when I was here before, I don't remember, but... In Romans 5 and verse 8, for, for several years when I would go sowing and I would read the verse, but God commanded his love toward us. And one of the men was with me and says, Preacher, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I, he was very, he tried to be very gentle with me. He said, but it ain't commanded, it's commended. In my heart of pride, I was like, what's the big deal? It's a very big deal. It's two different words. And the Bible says, but God commended his love. That, that word means that, that it's like God put his love on display. And God was saying to the world, this is how much I love you. My friend, that I'm willing to give my son to die on the cross for you. God demonstrated his love for us. There was a man, and he had, there was these two horses, and he had a little, had a little carriage, and something spooked the horses, and, and the horses began to run, and this man ran as fast as he could, and, and he grabbed a hold of the horses and began to try to stop them, and, and the horses continued to, to drag him, and, and the people said, turn them loose, uh, turn them loose, turn them loose. They were screaming, turn the horses loose. And the horses kept going and kept dragging him. And, and his body was just bouncing up and down the rocks. And finally, the horses came to a stop. The people gathered and ran and said, Sir, why didn't you turn the horses loose? He said, Look in the carriage. They looked in the carriage. And it was his two-year-old son. The man died. The man was willing to give his life. Why? Because his son was in the carriage. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what ought to motivate us? You know what ought to compel us? Uh, you know what ought to urge us? You know what ought to move us? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got some other points, but we, could, we, could, we really could just say, this is it. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. But may I say quickly, not only the cross is a reason, but number two, the sinner is a reason. The sinner is a reason. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason that, that you and I ought to be surrendered and serve God and be willing to step up to the plate and, and get involved in the work of God? Hey, the sinner is lost.
The sinner is lost. You know where you and I were before we got saved? We were lost. The Bible says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to what? Save that which was what? I don't know if you've ever been lost. My son and I, uh, every Thanksgiving we used to go hunting. We'd eat Thanksgiving dinner, and I'd take the boys. We'd all go hunting Thursday afternoon, Friday, come back Saturday afternoon. And so we, on this particular hunting trip, we kind of went to the same places, but we would divide up deer stands and, you know, different things like that. But me and one of my boys, we, we were together. We went to a particular spot. It was time to come out of the woods. It was about 10 o'clock. And somehow or another, we got turned around. We got lost. I mean, we got really lost. We walked for hours, hours in the woods. And when I finally came out on a dirt road, and then I began to walk, I had no idea where I was at. And finally, we came out on the end of that dirt road and came to a paved road. And we began to walk down this paved road, and, and there was a house. And I, I went up to this house and knocked on the door. And I said to the lady, she came to the door, I said, you know, we just kind of come out of the woods. Got a little lost out there. And uh, could you tell me which way the story was? It was just the opposite of the direction that I thought I was going. I thought I was going south, but I was going north. I was totally turned around. I don't know if you've ever been with one of your children and you were lost, but that's a scary feeling. Do you understand tonight the world is lost? They're lost. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they're headed. Hey, the sinner is not only lost, but he's dead. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Not only is he lost, not only is he dead, but they're blinded according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But not only are they dead, not only are they lost, not only are they blinded, but they're condemned. Did you know the Bible says, listen to this, in John chapter, are y'all with me tonight? Listen to John chapter 3, listen to this. A lot of people don't understand this. The Bible says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. See, that the, a lot of people you work with and maybe uh, your neighbors, they, they think what's going to happen, they're, they're, they're going to die, and God's going to put all their good works over here and all their bad works over there. If they do more good than bad, uh, they get to go to heaven. If they do more bad than, than, than good, they, they, they go to hell. And that's how a lot of people think it's going to happen. And they think, well, you know, I got kind of a, kind of a, you know, 50-50 chance of getting into heaven. And, uh, but they don't realize if they're lost, if they're not saved, they are already condemned. They are as good as in hell. They are condemned already. The sinner is condemned. You know, tonight what to, ought to motivate us and move us is the sinner. I was at the prison. I, we went for years and years. For I, I went personally for about uh, probably close to 30 years. For many years, I, I would go. Uh, for, I started Tuesday night, probably did Tuesday night for years and years. And, and then my brother-in-law became the chaplain. And so he, he, he would have Monday night. Then we'd have Tuesday night. And then we got Friday night. And, and then we had Sunday. And so we had four or five times to this facility. And, I mean, it was wonderful. And COVID wind up shutting the facility down. But I remember one particular time I was there and I preached and I said, if you want to get saved, you just stay back. Everybody else can leave. And this one particular guy stayed back. Everybody else left. We sat down in two little chairs, kind of like you got here, but two little metal chairs. And he sat in one and I began to go through the plan of salvation. 
I'll never forget it. I came to Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When I gave him that verse, he started crying. You know, I thought, oh, that's, that's good. And then he started weeping loud. And then he got out of his chair and he got on his knees and he started banging on the floor. And I'm just watching like, what did I say? What happened? I mean, he's weeping, he's crying, he's banging on the floor. He's just crying. And then he stopped and he looked at me and he said, it's a gift. It's a gift. The light bulb came on. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Man, the light came on and that old boy got saved. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know anything greater outside of your salvation is seeing somebody else get saved. There's nothing like it in all the world. My friend, what, what ought to move us tonight that, that we want revival, that, that we want to serve God? Number one, the cross. Quickly tonight, the sinner. Number three, the condition of the harvest field. I'll just give you these. Jesus said the harvest was plenteous. The laborers are few. My friend, there's plenty out there. The fields are right under harvest, and there's not a lot of workers tonight. Hey, that ought to motivate us. That ought to move us. The harvest field, the center, the cross of Jesus Christ. And then I've done mention this a lot, but we don't hear this a lot in our churches no more. You know what ought to move us tonight? Hell. Hell. Do you understand that the rich man, the Bible says, died and in hell he lifted up his eyes? Do you understand tonight that hell is a real place? Do you understand that he said, I am tormented in this flame? Do you understand the rich man tonight is still in hell and he's still begging to get out? Do you know in hell they can remember? Do you know in hell they can see? Do you know in hell they can hear? Do you know in hell they can feel? Do you know he said, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. In hell there is real fire. People that died without Christ go to a place called hell. There was this famous doctor he was a heart surgeon. He would often be called in through the emergency room because someone would have had a, a, a major heart attack and they brought him to the emergency room. They needed emergency surgery. And this particular doctor was called in many times to operate. And this doctor's testimony was oftentimes people have a heart attack. They didn't have enough time to get them all medicated, all under anesthesia is the way they should. And this doctor's testimony was, there's got to be something to this because I have seen many a person dying, screaming, pull me out of the fire, pull me out of the fire, pull me out of the fire. And this famous doctor said, there's got to be, this can't be coincidence. He'd be, when he would leave work, he'd go get him a, some alcohol, because he said, hey, I was trying to get that out of my mind. 
He said it happened too many times for it to be a coincidence. He said, I saw it many times as they were dying. They'd be screaming, pull me out of the fire. You know, we could write a book on hell today. Most people die today are very sedated and under a lot of morphine. But there was a time that they didn't have a lot of that. And this particular doctor said, you know, a lot of times I would be there and uh, they'd be screaming and pulling me out of the fire. He said, I just couldn't get out of my mind. I, I became an alcoholic, he said. And finally, his testimony is that he got saved. Led him to Christ. Now, I don't know if the story is true or not, but I know the Bible's true. And I know the Bible says there's a hell. And ladies and gentlemen, if we can just spend about two minutes in hell tonight, I am telling you, it would transform every one of us. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? The cross is a reason. We ought to be surrendered and we ought to serve God with all of our hearts. Hey, the sinner ought to be a reason. The condition of the harvest field, hell's a real place. But ladies and gentlemen, heaven's a real place too. We preach about hell. We leave, we leave out heaven. Jesus said, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now, I know some of the translations try to say, well, there, we, got, we got some rooms up there. I don't want an apartment. In my Father's house are many mansions. Don't come to me tonight and want to argue about if there's mansions in heaven. The Bible says mansions. I believe heaven's a beautiful place. I believe heaven's just as real as where you sit. And somebody asked me the other day, preacher, will we know each other in heaven? The Bible says we'll be known as we're known. You won't get dumber when you get to heaven. You'll be smarter. Hey, praise the Lord for that, for me. Heaven is a place where Jesus is. Heaven is a place where our departed loved ones. To be quite honest with you, I've been at my church a long time. I've done a lot of funerals. Somebody asked me, have I done a lot of weddings? I've done a few weddings, but a lot of funerals. I've done some funerals of some of the most greatest Christians you'd ever know. I've done some preacher friends. and Man, I've, through the years, I've seen a lot of People pass on the other side. You know, the older you get, you start having more people on the other side than you do on this side. You do, it's true. The older you get, you start having more people on the other side. I got a lot of family members. My dad's on the other side. I got a brother that's on the other side. I got a lot of good church members that are on the other side. And I don't know about you, but that is going to be one happy day when that trumpet sounds. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. A billion years from now, we'll still be in heaven. A trillion years from now, we'll still be in heaven. A quadruple billion zillion years from now, we will still be in heaven. Well, that ought to move us tonight. That ought to motivate us. This world is passing uh, uh, by, my friend. This world is not our home. We are pilgrims just passing through. Are you with me tonight? Heaven ought to be a reason. May I say those who paid a price before us. I was talking to Brother Doug, talking about some of the former pastors, and 
He was telling me about some of the transitions. Sounds like been really pretty good for, 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 for Baptist Church. Thank the Lord for that. But you know, somebody bought a building here. Somebody gave some money. I said, somebody bought a building. Somebody gave some money. Somebody's been paying some, uh, some, some notes now and a light bill. Uh, somebody's been doing that for a long time here. Somebody's been doing that before some of you got here. Aren't you glad that somebody before you got here was willing to have this facility here? Some of you got saved here. Some of you got your life right with God here. But you know what? We need some people to step up that will be willing to continue to keep that going. Because there's more people to be reached. There's more lives that need to be changed. When I was a young man, I was 21 years old, and my mother, my mother worked and paid my way to go to Christian school. My, I don't mean this ugly. My dad ended up getting saved, but I wanted to go to a Christian school. And my dad said, well, the public school is free. My mom said, well, what if I pay his way? So for four years, my mother paid my tuition so I could go to a Christian school. I graduated there and really wasn't doing anything, to be honest with you, for God. Not even really a good mediocre Christian. Working two jobs, kind of slipping away from the Lord. God began to work on me. God began to break my heart. I don't have the whole time to tell you all the story, but I'll tell you this much. There was a preacher by the name of Brother Bankston. Brother Bankston had came to an age where he was real sick. And he couldn't hardly go anymore, and he, he was no longer able to pastor. And he was uh, admitted to the Bluxy VA there. Bluxy's by Gulfport. And so he was put into the hospital, and Brother Bankston was dying. Brother Bankston, I'll never forget, he said, Brother Carr, tell the church, stop praying for me. Y'all stop praying for me. God has already told me. I'm not leaving the hospital. I'm going to die here. By the way, he did not leave the hospital. He died there. But I would go see Brother Banks, and not every week, but almost every week. He stayed, get this, he stayed in that hospital for nine months. I would go see him, not every week, but almost every week. I'd go see Brother Banks, and I'd, get, I'd go to his room. I'd go get on that elevator, push the button to go back downstairs to go back to the car. And that... When them doors on that elevator would close, God would grip my heart and say, here you are, young. You've been to a Christian school. Your mother's sacrifice. Hey, what are you doing for me? God used Brother Bankston to work on me. And I remember I went and saw Brother Bankston, and I was in his room, and the phone rang, not, not the cell phone. This is nearly 40 years ago, what I'm telling you. The phone rang at the nurse's station. They didn't even have phones in the room. So the nurse came and said, there's a call for Mr. Carr. There's a call at the nurse station. I said, Brother Bankston, I'll be right back. I went, took the call. It was my wife. My niece was about to marry. She was engaged. And, and uh, there was a young man that she was dating. And my wife said, they are at the house. He wants to get saved. Right now, tonight. I said, you tell him I'll be right there. So I hanged the phone up, went back to Brother Bankston's room. I said, Brother Bankston, my niece is dating this guy. He wants to get saved. He needs to be saved. I said, I got to go. And Brother Bankston looked at me and he said this. He said, go get him. Those are the last words I ever heard him say. Go get him. Never forgot it. He stayed with me all of these years. 
So what motivates you? What drives you? What pushes you? Those that were before me that was willing to pay a price. We got a generation of young preachers today. Listen to me tonight. We need to be willing to pay the price. Surrender your life to get involved and to serve God. Is there not a cause? The cross ought to be enough. The sinner ought to be enough. The condition of the harvest ought to be enough. Hey, hell ought to be enough. Heaven ought to be enough. Those that were before us that paid a price ought to be enough. Your family ought to be enough. People ask me, how many children you have? I said, well, we have 11. And they go, 11? Woo! I said, yeah, 11. And they say, how many of those years? I said, all of them. <laughs> my wife and I had nine children, and my wife wanted to get into foster care, and we did. We really didn't intend to adopt, but we got one. She was only three months old, and her sister was four years old. We had her for almost three years. We thought we'd have her for six months, and the parents would kind of get straightened out and go back home. It's a long story, but th that didn't happen. And so they were going to go up for our adoption, and I told my wife, I said, babe, I know we're kind of getting up in age here, but, you know, you could be Sarah, I'll be Abraham. And I said, uh, we'll just adopt him. And we did. And I love him just like my own. On Sunday nights, don't y'all tell nobody. We live down just like a dead-end road. When we turn off of a highway and we get over there, Taylor will say, that's the little one. She's six years old now. She'd say, Papa, can I drive? She'd get over there and get in my lap. She thinks she's driving, but she's not. I got her. Love him just like my own. Not a bit of difference in all the world. I mean, not a bit of difference. Taylor got saved a few months ago. Nothing better in all the world. See one of your children come to Jesus Christ. Some of you tonight, you got grown children that are away from God. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. You got a husband that's lost. Don't give up. I told you the story when I was here last, I believe. I prayed for my sister for nearly 40 years. She got saved. A year later, her husband got saved. Very faithful. I mean, they're growing. You got a husband that needs to be saved. You got a wife that needs to be saved. You got a brother. You got a sister. You got a mom. You got a dad. Hey, that ought to get you going. And then lastly, the judgment seat of Christ. There's a lot of things, Pastor, I don't understand about the judgment seat of Christ. I don't, I don't preach a whole lot about the judgment seat of Christ. There's some parts of it I really don't quite understand. I, I don't think we'll be judged for our sins. I, I know it's about our works. and it's, 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 I know it's a judgment only for the saved. It has nothing to do with salvation. I, I understand that. I know there's two judgments, the great white throne for the lost, the judgment seat of Christ for the saved. I understand that. But I'm telling you, the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a cakewalk for the Christian. One day we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and we're going to give an account of what we did for Christ. That ought to sober us up a little bit to know individually, personally, every one of us, 
are going to stand before Christ. Somebody said, the song says, the scars in the hands of Jesus. There's no scars in his hands. There's wounds. The Bible says in Zechariah, where did you get those wounds? He said to Thomas, behold my hands. Put your hand into my side. That was after the resurrection. We're going to look at the one, that my friend, that was crucified and died for us. And we're going to be wishing would have did more for Christ. David said, is there not a cause? That word cause means reason. A, 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 a cause is, is something that motivates you. It's something that urges you. It's something that compels you to put things in motion. You have a cause tonight that is bigger than yourself. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight.